Hi, and welcome to Weird Science Psychology Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Emily. And today we're going to talk about... Erotomania. Ew. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I know that's completely inappropriate for the actual, like, subject, but it has the word, like, erotic in it, yeah, and so yeah. I, I just rolled with that. It, it is very sexual. Um, it is. Okay. It's got that uh, arrow love shit. It is, yeah. Um, I just, oh, I, I wanted to tell you, because this is the first time we're actually recording without, you know, having lived with each other. Uh, yeah. Which is weird. Oh, um, we've already done it like twice now. You know what? You're right. But but I was still <laughs> in Texas, so it didn't feel like that big of a That's deal. That's true. That's true. You were like, I'm only two hours away, and now you're yeah. like two time zones away. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, figured I was going to update you. My So my cat, um, you know this, but um, I moved states and i couldn't bring my cat with me because there's an embargo against shipping animals out of texas right now because we're full of coronavirus <laughs> at least unaccompanied right 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 because like i was originally actually, gonna send okay. it with my mom yeah. but then i was like i don't want to force my mom who's like almost 65 to like ride in an airplane just so i can have my cat so um, I was looking into like shipping him with like an airline service and um, yeah, it, <laughs> it's a no go. So I don't have my cat right now, um, but I think my parents are like fully bonding with him because my dad keeps sending me pictures Aww. of Tatsu, <laughs> like sitting Aww, on, it, sitting on his so lap cute. and like sitting with him while he's in the bedroom, like looking out the window and <laughs> My, and he sits by my that mom is while she's working at her desk and yeah oh <laughs> that's cute yeah i mean i obviously still have penguin here who is now terrified of my bed um yeah <laughs> it's like i don't have a i don't have a cuddle butt anymore he sleeps on the couch or in fault. his cat bed it's at night and i'm like <laughs> i know i know i thought it was funny and like Royce was over yesterday and he's just like, you are, you are just so distressed by this. And I'm like, yeah, he's afraid of my bed. Yeah, that's why you can't make any quick movements when he's around anything, apparently. I know. <laughs> he's I know, Jesus. Translate it as right, terrifying. Anyway, um, yeah, we could get, we I could get like snake. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right, so yeah, so today's topic is erotomania, which despite the way that I said it is not nearly as um, fun and, I mean, it's it's still sexual, but it's not fun. Um, it's not sexy. Yeah, it's not sexy. There you go. <laughs> so let's start off, obviously, with defining erotomania because um, it's a weird, long word that, you know, every time I've seen it and I read it, I my brain just goes erotic. <laughs> it's just erotic and mania in like one word. Okay. I know, but okay. my brain Fair doesn't enough. care. Anyways, so <laughs> uh, so erotomania is an uncommon form of paran a of a paranoid delusion. Um, so essentially, the affected person strongly believes that another individual is in love mm -hmm. with him or her. So this disorder is very rare. Uh, 
but from what they have found, it apparently affects more women than mm-hmm. men, uh, which, I mean, I say considering the amount of men who keep hitting on women <laughs> who are clearly not interested, I'm calling <laughs> bullshit on that. Yeah, yep. like, When a woman does it, it's clingy and desperate and a psychological disorder. When a man does it, he's he's just, you know, he's just giving you a compliment. It's just a compliment. Yeah, he's ambitious, and he's forward, and confident, and but yeah, so uh, for women, though, it does tend to be toward older men who like hold a higher status, and for men, it's often towards younger women who were rated as having a higher mm-hmm. sexual attractiveness, so it kind of falls in line with a bit of that evolutionary psychology, right. like attraction, you know, is women seek out men with status and men seek out women who are like <laughs> going to birth them babies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, you know, but that's how it falls. So the disorder um, can arise after puberty, but it is most common around mm. midlife. Um, so it's, it will, it can start very suddenly and the symptoms are unfortunately yeah. long lasting. Um, so the object of affection is typically an older inaccessible person with a higher social status who may have had literal oh sorry little or no previous contact mm-hmm. with the deluded person so we are talking like someone right. like a celebrity essentially it can happen with like the girl mm-hmm. at the supermarket but um it also might from be what, from Brad what I Pitt. Saw, um, because that does kind of overlap into celebrity worship and there was one case that I thought about covering for celebrity mm-hmm. worship, but it was also categorized as erotomania. So I thought I'd save it, but then I don't actually cover it today. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, but what, but what I saw is a lot of the time it was like, you know, women and teachers or women and bosses, um, especially if like, they don't have like mm-hmm. a lot of direct contact, like, you know, think college student and professor in a class of like 400 kids were like, he probably doesn't even know her name yeah, or whatever, but um, they're mm-hmm. completely obsessed and yeah. 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 So as you point out, there is some overlap with the celebrity worship syndrome um, just because people can, you know, in celebrity worship syndrome think um, Ariana mm-hmm. Grande is in love with me and she's, you know, she right. just, she can't tell anyone, um, yeah. which would fall under this. Yeah. So there's, there is some overlap. Um, okay. So, um, as you may have seen, it is some call, sometimes called, uh, and here goes my French, uh, de Clarembol syndrome. Uh, a guy's uh, name, right? It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's a dude's name. Uh, it is named after the psychiatrist who first described the disorder in 1921. So we have almost reached its 100th anniversary. Woo. Okay, Um, so, and to point out, since uh, the victim of their desire is very much not in love with this person, all, you know, signs and proof that this person does truly love them, um, you know, like the person who suffers from erotomania, Mm -hmm. is apparently through subtle subliminal messaging. Uh, So an example I found... Uh, was a documented case from a century ago. Uh, ho- I'm hoping this one didn't come up when you did your research. I'm assuming you did more recent things. Uh, my 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 cases are from like the 70s. So yeah, cool. This one is old. But yeah, so a 
woman um, had an erotomanic fixation for King George V. Okay. And she interpreted the movement of a window curtain out, like as she waited outside mm-hmm. of Buckingham Palace as a signal that the king was making a public proclamation of his love for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, to- yeah, that checks out, right? Totally. It just, just reminds me of like middle school crushes. I was like, was he looking at me? Oh, he was totally looking at me. Oh my God, he's so in love with me. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Did you see the way he nodded at me? Or, oh my gosh, he'd stop right next to me to tie his shoe. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's actually, that's a really good way to look at it is it's almost like your brain didn't develop past that stage of um, right, right. figuring out people like you. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's some of the subliminal messaging. And of course, um, with, you know, social media now, is, I mean, you can really find hidden, these people will find like hidden meetings in their messages, their public posts. Um, and this would be a very good case of looking for specific evidence to, you know, prove predetermined beliefs. So if someone, you know, maybe has like a lot of followers and stuff on like their social media might be all like, you know, um, I mean, cause this would be in cases of people who are a bit more like, um, with a higher public standing who are, you know, like, mm-hmm. I love my followers and stuff. They're going to be like, oh yeah, that she means, or he or she means right. me specifically. Um, but they have to keep it hidden. So they're just going to say everyone, mm-hmm. but it's actually me they love. So, but even that, like you mentioned with like a professor or a boss, if they post something on their social media, you know, the person may interpret it as like, that's, they're referencing something that, you know, like we talked about once. So that means they're, they're mm-hmm. talking like mm-hmm. to me, you know, when it's like, no, he just wants to talk about fishing because <laughs> he likes fishing. So he talks about it right. a lot. But yeah. So, uh, erotomania may be, uh, a symptom of a psychiatric illness. Uh, this can include schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, major depressive disorder with psychotic features, bipolar disorder, or mm-hmm. Alzheimer's disease. So there's a lot of different ways that this, um, I, it's not necessarily like, a, I guess a comorbidity. It's just more like right. this might be a symptom of yeah, what you know, I saw another that, disorder. Um, the, a lot of these, the symptoms overlap. So you might not be di- be able to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, but you have a lot of the same sorts of symptoms. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Um, and, yeah, and so social media, like I said, really does exasperate this. It does break down those barriers between, you know, like the person suffering from erotomania and then the person they, they have, you know, the unwilling victim of mm-hmm. their um, affection. Um, so because it makes it much easier to observe, contact, and even stalk this person because... I mean, I know people talk about the dangers of posting all your stuff on social media, but people do that. And it, in these cases, it can make it easier for them to find you um, oh, or at definitely. least figure out. Yeah. So I'm not here to be like, oh, social media is bad, but like, let's get rid Like they can figure out stuff. We've all seen catfish. We know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've only seen catfish because of you. Oh, well, I mean, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, also some studies do suggest that this delusion can develop due to severe stress or trauma so like a fun Mm. trauma response yay Um, so some common traits of people who are diagnosed with erotomania includes uh, low self-esteem feelings of rejection or loneliness 
social isolation and trouble seeing other points of view, uh, other people's points of view. So this is just a nice, like you have all that stuff. It's just, it's a nice little melting mm-hmm. pot for disaster. You are prepared to, I don't know, I, I keep thinking, you know, s- s- to stalk someone. <laughs> or become very, um, very obsessed with them in a very unhealthy way. Yeah. So like, I will admit, like doing my research, um, like uh, pretty soon the site, you know, I didn't even mention my sources, but I'll do that. Um, but the sources that I did find, a lot of them started being kind of repetitive. And um, I didn't find like maybe how often this could necessarily like be like physically dangerous. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if some of your, the cases you covered, if that kind of ends with something that's a little bit like scary or if it's just this person or if you, if it, you know, as the victim, you would just have this weird um, person obsessed with it, you and you're just like, this is crazy, weird does, and strange, but yeah. it, it can be, I mean, I can, so because I don't actually cover this case, I'll just give this as an example. Um, there was a woman who was really obsessed with David Letterman and he, and she like picked up quote unquote signals from him through his show. So like what you said, like he would just be talking to the audience, but she'd be like, oh no, that was a message for me. And he was talking to me. Mm-hmm. And um, she ended up like stealing his car and um, he had to get multiple mm-hmm. restraining orders against her. And it, it became a very scary thing for him to deal with. So it, it can definitely be like physical yeah. and yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I definitely know it has the potential. I just wasn't able to find, like, a statistic on that if it's common. Um, but I know, like, it for it for sure has the ability to go that far. I, and I would uh, say that any any situation where somebody is, you know, stalking you and making unwanted advances towards you can be mm-hmm. very, very physically scary. And um, it doesn't matter if they, it doesn't matter they don't if they do never something. become, like, yeah. actually violent. It's still, like, a very scary and threatening occurrence so yeah 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 no you're right because I'm thinking like imagine if every time like I came home there's like the same guy standing outside the building looking at me that would freak me out uh even if even if he never does anything or even talks to me like that would scare me um but yeah okay but before I forget <laughs> my sources include medical news today WebMD, and psychology today uh it's at the top of the page still not the first thing I read so <laughs> what are you gonna do about that Okay, so uh, experts aren't, they're not actually 100% sure how it happens, which I mean, I'll say is probably true for like a majority of like psychiatric illnesses. They're mm-hmm. just kind of like, eh. um, they do their best. But what kind of what they're thinking about is that if like, if you're already having delusions, um, is that that can lead you to misinterpret like facial expressions or body mm-hmm. language. And so then you could, you could reasonably or, you know, unreasonably, I guess, think someone is flirting with you when they're not. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, is one of the traits of these people is that they have low self-esteem. And so if you have low self-esteem, uh, you may tell yourself stories to make, like, make yourself feel better. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, if you ever, you know, were like on the bus or on the street, saw a cute guy and there was just a moment where that like whole fantasy ran through your head or something. And it's like, you yep. know, yep. just imagine that like being taken to the extreme. Like they think it's real. <laughs> I remember, I remember I had a crush on a guy in like the seventh grade who rode my bus and he used to sit in the seat in front of me like every single time. And so I was like, oh yeah, yep. 
he's 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 into it. This is a sign. He's uh, he's not rejecting me yet. So uh, this is this is a good movement. And like, I didn't really think about the fact that literally everyone just sat in the same seats on the bus every day because it's just like it's just a natural thing you do. Yeah. Like, just like a desk in a classroom, you tend to sit in the same desk even when there's not a sign seating. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, oh yeah, no, no, no. he's he's uh, this it, is this is good. It this means good. something. This means he's into it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. But yeah. Um, and I like only talked to him once. But <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I mean, gosh, I, I think of like, you know, even like, I, I mean, even as an adult, just, you know, like the, 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 I, I remember kind of thinking like when I used to go to the LA fitness, uh, the guy, there was a guy who worked the desk who I thought was like, he was real pretty boy cute, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. stereotypical cute. Strong uh, jaw, mm-hmm. wavy hair. Like boy mm-hmm. band cute kind of thing, you yeah. know? So, and just like, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, what if, you know, like the whole like fan- flirtatious fantasy and, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, I even do it as an adult, but I also like, oh, yeah. I know it's not real, but right, people, right, they right. don't. And seventh grade Jew, just, she really hoped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and of course, uh, Freud gets mentioned with this because it has to do with attraction and sexual feelings. So, uh, of course, he's there. But uh, he theorized that erotomanic delusions were a psychological defense against unacceptable homosexual feelings. Which... Fucking, fucking Freud. I know. I mean, leave it, leave it to fucking Freud to make anything like either homophobic or misogynistic. I just, Jesus Christ. I just think about it. I'm like, so... It's just like, okay, so you're uh, basically having like overdeveloped feelings, you know, as a man towards a woman because you're attracted to men. Okay, sure. That mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. But yeah. Um, and then others, uh, I will say other smarter people um, or <laughs> more informed, like, I don't know. But and so mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. have suggested that it might just be a defense against like the disappointment of rejection and unrequited love um, or the mm-hmm. reality of a lonely, non-existent love life. Which I, I think tracks a little bit more, but yeah, I feel that I feel like everything tracks a little bit more than whatever Freud's going to say. So <laughs> very, very true. Yeah. And I mean, to point out, like, we are often in the dark about whether or not a crush likes us back. Like, there's this whole, like, there is this whole, like, some nonverbal communication. And if no one outright says they're interested in you, it's always a guessing game. Uh, but this is a lot worse than that. Like, it's this isn't just a person thinking maybe they like right. me. It's like, this is sometimes with a person who may have, I mean, if anything, at most said hi how are you or something made small mm-hmm. talk like this isn't uh like th- they're really yeah, it's a very extreme reaction yeah. to very minimal interaction exactly um so the key symptom of erotomania is a resolute and delusional belief that you know some other person is in love with them so behaviors include persistent efforts to make contact through stalking written communication and usually do involve other harassing behaviors uh, whether this will actually like lead up to violence is, you know, can happen. I don't know how common it is, but, um, mm-hmm. and this, yeah, is accompanied by a belief that the, uh, the victim of their affection is secretly sending personal and affirming messages back. 
And um, weirdly enough, this behavior can be triggered by the victim making it known that their advances are unwanted, which is a mm. bit of a confusion thing. But, but now, diagnosis. So the delusions must involve possible events, even if they are highly unlikely. Uh, the delusion must only apply to the relevant issue while all other aspects of the affected person's life uh, are like functional and normal. So this is like the only weird thing they do. Right. And if low moods or manic episodes are also present, then the duration of the delusion uh, must be longer than the mood or manic episode. And mm -hmm. uh, schizophrenia, mood disorders, and intoxication must all be excluded. Like I guess that there can't be a better explanation for it. Uh, but I, I right. assume there can no, be comorbidity. Uh, I have a question though. Yes. It um, is it um, is this like diagnosis from the DSM because like is this a disease under the DSM? That is a great question. Okay. <laughs> because uh, when I was doing my research, like it's I I couldn't tell if they were using the DSM to diagnose or if they were just using that first guy's report of it, the D camembert cheese, Cam yeah, <laughs> what was his name? whatever that guy's name was. Okay. Uh, yeah, they were just seeming, or it seemed like the psychiatrist was just using that description yeah. to diagnose the woman. Okay. So I well, couldn't tell if it was ever in the DSM. Yeah. Well, according to the Wikipedia is erotomania is listed as the, as a subtype of a delusional disorder in the DSM five. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so now that you've diagnosed it, uh, treatment is difficult just because the person with erotomania is delusional and therefore doesn't think anything's wrong with their behavior. They're like, no, this person's in love mm -hmm. with me. Why would it be a delusion? Um, so few will seek treatment. Yep. And I mean, even with those who do, therapy is still difficult. Uh, they say treatment is best tailored toward the individual, but like what else is new with treatment? Uh, like, right. yeah, you should do that. Um, <laughs> so priorities do include uh, maintaining social function, minimizing the risk of problematic behavior, and improving the affected person's quality of life. Um, and it may also be helpful to uh, provide social skills training and, like, practical help in dealing with any problems that stem from erotomania. So. Mm -hmm. So successful symptom management focuses on treating the underlying disorder and can include a mix of medications, therapy, and hospitalization. Obviously, hospitalization depends on whether or not that person is a danger to themselves or others. So for the most part, it tends to be medication and therapy and mix up. Like medication if needed, but therapy, obviously, everyone should go to therapy anyway. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, agreed. Yeah. But thankfully, erotomania is a rare um, disorder. Uh, it doesn't often reoccur, and treatment, when done, is most often successful. And uh, it says especially for people with bipolar disorders um, hmm. or like another underlying condition. So I guess maybe because if they treat, they can treat that, then the erotomania kind of like deals with itself as a right. secondary like diagnosis. If you can treat your um, manic symptoms, maybe you're less inclined to have the delusions or something. Something like that, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. But your turn. Oh, yay. 
Okay, I'm stretching. I'm stretching. Oh, God. <clears throat> okay. <sighs> I feel better now. Good. All right. So today I'm going to cover like uh, like one and a half cases, I guess. I kind of, because, because the two cases were so similar, I okay. go in depth into one and then I just kind of like sum up the other one. Okay, cool. I was just like, how do you only cover half a case? But go, go, <laughs> go and do it and then I'll understand. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so this comes from, so it's a couple of different uh, journal articles, but they're by the same psychiatrist named Harold W. Jordan. Um, and, or he was the senior author for both of the articles. So let's get started. Uh, in 1971, there was a young woman living in Nashville who, in this journal article, uh, in the, did I say journal article? I think you did, but <laughs> keep going. In this journal, um, that's my new favorite word. Uh, it, it shortens journal like, article. You just say journal. I yep, like journal. it. Uh, she uh, she was referred to by the acro- the anonymous acronym LT. So that's how I will refer to her. Cool. So LT was a young, attractive black woman, age twenty one, from a middle class Baptist background. She was in her third year at a local college. She was very like moralistic, so kind of um you know she was from that baptist background and i think she really took a lot of that to heart and mm-hmm. seemed to be kind of uh sometimes judgy maybe a little bit yeah i guess rigid um, a little with her yeah like, yeah just okay. yeah and she, but she was also really quiet so it wasn't like she was rude or anything she was just you know she she had her opinions yeah she judges you silently <laughs> yeah uh, she was very studious and um, incredibly bright. So she was really intelligent, but also, you know, reserved and polite. So she, you know, she was just kind of um, the the bookish little nerdy girl, mm-hmm. if you. And, you know, when you mentioned the lack of self-esteem, I kind of wonder if maybe that was something she had to deal with because just, you know, they, they compared her to her twin sister who was really outgoing uh. and had a lot of friends. And so I wonder if maybe, like, she, you know, felt like, oh, I'm not like my sister, you know, like, had that lower self-esteem. I would, I mean, I would, I would feel comfortable uh, betting some money on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, and, you know, she wasn't, like, the therapist even described her, like, she was very attractive and she was very well-dressed. So it doesn't seem like she, um, but yet she dated very infrequently and it didn't seem to be her personal choice in that regard. So, you know, I I have to imagine that her self-esteem was somewhat affected by that. Yeah, especially for sister, her twin twin sister is all Mm -hmm. like string of boyfriends. I don't know if they were identical, but that would be a blow. Right, exactly. Um, And so right before this whole you know, um, case study began and she started seeing this psychiatrist, uh, she had, um, like in the months prior had a recent romantic endeavor that kind of went South and ended really abruptly. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
uh, it seemed to be like a, you know, a quick thing, kind of that they'd been going out for like a few dates and then suddenly like the guy just wasn't interested anymore. I hate when that happens. Yeah. And uh, she seemed very emotionally distraught after that. And then the trouble begins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I can't imagine that that probably like really triggered something, especially in the self-esteem category. Yeah. I I would assume. Um, because hey girl been there done that so uh, yeah (laughs) we are familiar Um, yeah so it was after that whole episode that she started to become very infatuated with a young man in her physics class and this would be kind of the beginning of the end Uh, she became so obsessed with this young man that it actually began to like really concern her mom her mom was Mm. the first one to be like something is not right here um and her mother learned that you know because her daughter's like really into this guy like talking about him saying he wants to marry her and how in love with her um he is and then she finds out that her daughter hasn't even like had a full conversation with this guy (laughs) her mom's like at least make him take you to dinner first god (laughs) yeah uh so yeah so despite barely talking um you know in class I don't even think they sat next to each other it was just kind of like this guy she like picked out she totally like Um, sat behind him and stared at the back of his head I think oh probably oh yeah um and she was totally and completely convinced that he was in love with her and wanted to marry her and um she also started having um suspicions of classmates and her professor trying to get in the way of their love god that so, as a parent like I'm, i don't have kids but if my kid told me that it'd be like just huge warning yeah. like sirens going off <laughs> in my head yep um so this is when her mother intervenes and reached out to um the psychiatrist who they they referred to in the journal as the senior author, so I have to assume it's Dr. Jordan, because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm pretty sure that's what that meant. <laughs> so according to his recordings, um, and this is a direct quote from the article, her conversation when relate when unrelated to her de- delusional process was rational, coherent, appropriate, and relevant. One could talk with her for long periods of time without realizing that she had any such disorder if one did not approach the subject of her delusional process. When speaking of the delusional process, she went into great detail, explaining the messages she received from her fantasy lover, signs which she received on TV from the colors of dresses, license plates on cars, and from several other quote unquote sources. Good lord. She saw yeah. She saw all of this as proof of the fact that the young man was in love with her and planning to marry her. She seemed quite sad when discussing her situation and quite disappointed that the young man had not yet rescued her from this misery of not being together. I, I uh, have end quote. I have a question. Does it, yes. does this paper state like it, these, 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 uh, dress colors and like a license plates, is this like messages mm-hmm. from the universe or is she believe that he is somehow, I don't know, 
making certain cars drive past her. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that she was convinced that he was somehow um, arranging these quote-unquote messages because uh, she believed, and I think I referenced this later, um, she believed that the whole world knew about their love and that um, even the president of the United States was like in on it. (laughs) um, Yeah, she had like this whole very strong belief that he was in love with her, sending her these signs that the whole world knew about it, but a lot of people were like trying to get between them and preventing them from being together. What, because he's just so hot or something? I mean, I'm not going to question her. <laughs> so. I mean, fair enough. Like, she's she's got this whole thing. None of it's going to make sense. Um, nope. That's, that's why it's called, that's why it's a delusion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as as the years went on, because this, you know, this stretched well past the end of the class they had together, well past the end of her college and everything. Um, so as it, as time progresses, she apparently would become somewhat like physically agitated and violent when she got upset about the whole guy not coming to her door and marrying her thing. So, and her family said, particularly around holidays, she would become very, very upset that he hadn't come back to, like, marry her yet. And she she actually um, was violent enough that uh, the psychiatrist had to prescribe a heavy tranquilizer oh, to, like, get her to calm down. That's, that's what happens when not, you don't even have a conversation yeah. with the guy. He's all like, I don't know when I was supposed to come get you. <laughs> Emily. I know. <laughs> Try, I'm trying to make light of this situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was pretty shocked by the fact that, you know, they were, like, giving her the... Because I have to imagine it was, like, a syringe tranquilizer that her parents could use if she got, like, too out of control. Uh-huh. Um, and like, what the fuck, 1970s psychology? <laughs> like, seriously, um, take her down. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're like at your wits' end and you don't really, you know, I guess it's better than a psych ward in the 1970s. Um, yeah, but, but in what world are two parents like? If if your daughter is so become so like deep in her delusion that she becomes violent like in what world are you going to be able to stab her with that needle and like you're a you're a parent you didn't sign up for that yeah i i definitely you know man i i do feel bad for the parents oh yeah i mean Uh, i say kudos on her mom for being like you know realizing this was an issue and like trying to intervene but it's like I feel like this is almost asking a little bit too much like unless her mom's like a nurse I mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable just stabbing someone with a needle like yeah it's a good thing I never I, need I mean, an EpiPen <laughs> right I was gonna say there are many medications in which you have to know how to stab your loved one with a needle but um, yeah <laughs> uh yeah EpiPens um certain you know like insulin maybe it's just me but, then yeah maybe uh, no, I definitely don't love needles and not, <laughs> not be thrilled about it. <laughs> Let's say that. Um, 
So they did try the confronting her about like the logic of the situation, you know, like trying to rationalize with her and be I'm like, sure that went over okay. well. <laughs> uh, okay, but like, how does he send you these messages? And how, you know, like try to like break it down. And oh, yeah, she was, it was not helpful at all. She no. was just like, have, you know, she had a reason for everything. She, uh, you know, could rationalize it away in her own, you know, world. And, um, yeah, it definitely did not work very well. Um, her mom thought it would be like a good idea to call the guy directly and have him like tell her that he was not interested. Um, so he, he agreed and he said like, yeah, um, I'm really sorry. Uh, like I vaguely remember you, but like I, you know, haven't really thought about you since our class together and I am so sorry. Um, but I don't really have any intentions of returning to the city and I don't have any intentions of marrying you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. And so, and she's like listening and she seems to be really intent, like, you know, intense mm-hmm. and like, Hmm. Yeah. And, and then once the conversation was over and finished, she was like, Oh no, that wasn't him. He didn't say that. He would have never said that. That wasn't him. Yeah. <laughs> she just like was like, no, he would never say that to me. Yeah. So that obviously was like some guy you paid to like tell me these things or whatever. Yeah, you can't um, you can't reason with a delusional person. Like they're not on the yeah. same plane of reality. Like you, it, oh no, don't even try. Like it's not going to work. Nope. And um, you know, the mom asked the psychiatrist if she could try getting the guy to come in person and. Which I feel bad for the guy in that situation. I, I definitely wouldn't want to be like put in that situation. Um, but the therapist was like, "No, no, no, that would be a bad idea. Don't do that." <laughs> so it didn't happen. But uh, yeah, like, mom, I, I I get where you're coming from, but no, bad idea. <laughs> uh, so uh, she did like okay. So back when she was like first getting these delusions, um, again, it was her junior year of college. And she did actually uh, struggle to finish that semester. And I think she had to take a break for a little while. But she, you know, like I said, she was very bright, very studious. Um, The reason that she had to take a break was because she was just so convinced that, like, her classmates were plotting against her, that that made it difficult for her to, like, want to come to class. And, like, she couldn't really trust people Mm. because she was assuming that they were all plotting against her. Mm Um, But she did eventually return to school and she completed her biology degree with honors and graduated um, and she got into postgraduate school. But uh, when she started to work in the lab at that school, uh, she again struggled with suspecting people in the labs of like plotting against her and she couldn't really... um, function very well in the classes so uh she ended up you know quitting not because she couldn't you know wasn't like smart enough or wasn't capable enough of doing the work but just because of these delusions that were um, preventing her from being able to do her work yeah no she's obviously very intelligent but this is now interfering with her quality of life exactly um so she uh, decided to drop out of the post-grad school, like, 
before the semester even ended. And um, she did get a job at a clerk's office. But again, uh, she started suspecting that the people there were plotting against her, Mm. preventing her, um, you know, object of affection from coming back and returning to her. So she quit the job. And and at this point, it's about four years after the delusions first began. Um, And her... And it got so severe that she actually developed a pretty bad case of agoraphobia and she couldn't, you know, leave her house for fear that people were plotting to kill her. And I have to assume, like, to prevent her from, like, you know, being with that guy. Like, she just assumed people were trying to kill her, so she was afraid to leave her house. This has gotten so dramatic. Yeah. Like, so, jeez. Yeah. And um, this lasted for about three years of her being, like, unable to leave her family home. Um, So she was living with her parents at the time. Her twin sister, who had since, like, moved and, like, you know, found a place of her own and was working, would, like, come back and, um, you know, uh, go. And this was the only, her twin sister was the only person she would, like, leave the house with. And she would go to, like, the beauty store with her. Um, But other than that, she was pretty much a total recluse in the house. Um, and she started to get, you know, increasingly violent against her family members and then suspecting them of being part of the plot against her. Yeah. Uh, so in 1978, she was hospitalized um, and unfortunately subjected to electroshock therapy. But um, I've heard that actually, and this was discussed in one of my neuro classes, that electroshock therapy can be helpful for um depression and there's actually good studies that it um relieves a lot of symptoms of depression but i think that those are pretty you know low voltage shocks and um i don't i am not really up to date on all the studies about how effective it is and Mm -hmm. for what it's effective for i do know it has a big stigma against it these days like if i you know and somebody was told, like, we're going to go give you electroshock therapy. I don't think they'd, like, be super thrilled about it. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but apparently in this situation, it was somewhat helpful. Um, she uh, started to question some of her delusions um, and wonder if, like, some of the messages she was receiving and the, you know, threats she was perceiving were just, quote, unquote, all in her head. Mm-hmm. Um and she lost her fear of leaving the house, so she was once again, you know, free. You know, she she didn't feel like she was going to get killed if she left her house anymore, so she was able to kind of, like, walk around. And That's this was good. about... Yeah, and um, this was, like, a few weeks following the electroshock therapy where she was comfortable, like, going out of the house and... Um, uh, not having so much fear, but she did still believe that her, you know, that this guy was going to come back and marry her one day. And, um, you know, she still had a lot of those bigger delusions of like, oh yeah, he wants to marry me. He loves me. Um, but she was getting better at functioning day to day at the time, um, that the psychiatrist, uh, had written this report. Mm -hmm. So, um, he was pretty optimistic at the end of this journal that the electroshock therapy like really worked and yeah. was great. And then I found the follow-up article. Oh no. 
which was revisited 34 years later. So this guy actually kept in contact with her for like the over the course of 30 years. Damn. That's just hard. So, yeah. It's one of the longest case studies I've read a report from. So. Well, it's like, I'll uh, see those longitudinal studies and they're like, at the end, you know, we dropped down like so many participants because we just lost contact with them. Yeah. Um, so in this case study, I got some more, I got some interesting quotes that hadn't been mentioned in the first case. So I just wanted to like, um, you know, re refresh us on exactly how obsessed she was with this guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, here's a quote from the follow up. Uh, about what she first reported back in the 70s. Yeah. So she, okay. she said that she would not relate to any other man because if so, she would be unfaithful to him, the, the guy from her class. She insisted that she would wait for him eternally. She also indicated that the world knew about this, even the president of the United States and other important people. They were all very much aware of their love for each other and he provided meaning to her life that she did not have before. And if she did not have him in her life, then her life would have no meaning. Um, in addition to the person... Okay, so... Um, oh, yeah. So this is kind of like later on. Um, I'm assuming that this started to occur because... Um, okay, so... Uh, the electroshock therapy effects did not last very long. They only lasted about three weeks after her treatment. Um, and then she returned to having very severe delusions. Um, so one um, of her delusions that she developed was um, she was convinced that he visited her at night for many years, married her and impregnated her, and that she had given birth to a large number of children, but these children had been taken away from her by her parents and her psychiatrist and given up for adoption without her permission. And she was very angry about that. Uh, so, yeah, not not great. Not great results after the no. those effects wore off. Not long-lasting enough. No. Um, so after various antipsychotics were like prescribed over the years and like tested out um they were able to find a helpful uh prescription that helped uh, that was good with controlling the extremes of her agitation so she was much less physically violent and not as like um paranoid i guess um but you know she still had a lot of her uh delusions that this guy still loved her and you know wanted to marry her um so she didn't really f uh so in this follow-up the guy was kind of like discussing her diagnosis and said that she didn't really fit the diagnosis for schizophrenia because her delusions were so central to this one like um idea of this guy being obsessed with her mm -hmm. Uh, so she, again, she was like perfectly coherent and like, uh, quote unquote, normal in other day to day stuff. But it was just this one area that you like couldn't talk to her about because she would get a little intense. Um, and she was able to function fairly normally day to day as long as she, you know, stayed on her prescriptions and did not 
and nobody asked her about the guy. Like <laughs> nobody like asked her about her love life. It was fine. So that's yeah. just a no-go um, topic with her. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, the psychiatrist eventually determined her diagnosis to be delusional disorder, uh, persecutory type because she did feel that people were like out to get her. Yeah. Um, so that was like her most updated diagnosis. Okay, um, cool. So 30 something years later, she still thinks she's going to marry this guy. Yep. Yep. Cool. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So very long lasting, very long lasting delusion. Um, and so the other case that I didn't find the original case study for because um, it was mentioned in this follow-up article. Um, and um, <laughs> I, it just sounded similar enough that I was like, okay, if I reread the original that this is coming from, it's probably going to be very similar to mm-hmm. what I just told you. Uh, so I just went ahead and wrote a little blurb about it from the follow-up case studies report. Uh, so it was very, very similar. In ni- it was in the '60s. It was another young black woman in the Nashville area who became convinced that her art professor, who was actually like a pretty young, cool art professor, um, she was like utterly convinced that he was enamored with her. Uh, she would send him cards and letters, and this is where it gets kind of scary for him. She would attempt to visit his house and try to, like, enter the premises. Ah! <laughs> no! That's a no-no, so, ma'am. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. So she would, like, you know, knock on his door and he'd, like, open it and she'd try to, like, get in. Yeah. Oh, so she was okay. even all, like, forcefully and he's like, what the fuck, lady? She... I, I don't know how forceful it was, but it, okay. she definitely made an attempt to, like, you know, sneak on in there, yeah. and uh, she's like, "I'll he just was not... scoot right past you." And it's like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he definitely was like not super thrilled about that. Like, she would leave him flowers, um, and she just became, you know, very obsessed with him. And um, she goes on to become this really successful artist. She was known for her portraits and um, self portraits. But uh, throughout all of it, she maintained the delusion that this one art professor from her college years was like super into her and um, wanted to marry her. And uh, she she was also treated. And I think she's I'm pretty sure she saw a different psychiatrist than the guy who wrote this follow up article uh-huh. and treated the first lady. Um, but it, their treatments seemed fairly similar. You know, they tried therapy, they tried antipsychotics. She was hospitalized a few times. Um, and with the right prescriptions, her symptoms seemed to be minimalized, but not completely resolved. And she still um, persisted in her delusions, even after the former professor um, told her like this, so during the follow-up case, the psychiatrist asked the, prof- or sorry, the woman asked the psychiatrist if he would contact the professor. <laughs> psychiatrist and, is like, know, no. Uh, no, well, no, he entertained the idea. She was like, really? Trust me, trust me. 
Because what she said was, she was like, look, I'll accept whatever he says. I just, I need to know his true feelings. So will you please just ask him? And the psychiatrist was like, okay, why not? So he asked, um, he asked the dude like, hey, will you like talk with her over the phone? You know, you don't have to see her in person. And the professor was like not comfortable with that. So, but he agreed to tell um, the psychiatrist a message that the uh-huh. psychiatrist could then relay to the patient. I have a great, um, I have a good feeling about how poorly this is going to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the professor says, look, I really, I didn't, I never wanted to be involved with you that way. It made me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I really wish we could just leave this in the past. This was 30 <laughs> years ago for me. Like, please, like, yeah. like, just like, leave it be and don't contact me and I don't want to see you. Um, and so when the psychiatrist relayed this message to the patient, she was just kind of like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure and like you didn't really like, believe it narrow-eyed suspicion <laughs> yeah you talked to him uh-huh. so it didn't seem to go over really well but she didn't uh, apparently make attempts to like contact the guy or at least they didn't say that she did so hopefully she left him alone hopefully <laughs> but um there was evidence that she still believed in her delusions after that incident so God. If I was that man, I'd move like countries probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad because it's like, we're laughing about this, but it's, you know, it it's very, there are two victims. There's like the victim of the stalking and then there's the victim with these horrible delusions yeah. of persecution and, um, you know, like sadness and just, yeah, not, not fun all around. Um, it, it is, you know, it feels a little bit silly, but it's like, it's, if this happened, to me or to us and became a little more real I think we'd have a way different perspective of it oh yeah I I definitely wouldn't be making as many jokes but still at the same time I stand by the fact that I'm like if that man moved nations I would completely understand oh yeah like I'd change my name like I would Uh, like yeah so I I wouldn't want to be in that situation I don't like that at all no. Which is why I and make it, funny jokes because I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And it's just, it is such a peculiar disorder though because it's like, you know, it, it seems to resist any sort of treatment, where, whether it's therapy, therapeutic or medical. And it's, but it's, it's so centralized to mm-hmm. like be, this one idea. And it's like, it's just a weird, it's, it's definitely a, weird diagnosis it is um yeah so that's pretty much um all i had i guess we're ending a little bit short today but um, that's okay we we've gone long for some of them so oh yeah yeah it's okay to have a shorty once in a while yeah yeah well cool 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 uh cool cool cool. please don't fall in love with people you don't know uh, yeah. doesn't be, end well for chill. anyone yeah be, be chill. chill be chill <laughs> you know um if somebody says no you know respect the no respect the please. no please please respect the uh, no <laughs> and um yeah i guess that's it okay well then good
As always, thank you for listening to Weird Science, hosted by Laura Moyer and Emily Gangness. If you'd like to get into contact, our email is wetalkweirdscience at gmail.com, spelled W-E-T-A-L-K-W-E-I-R-D-P-S-Y-B-N-C-E at gmail.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at weirdscience, spelled the same way. Cover art is by Morgan Kalka, whose Twitter handle is at playerdirector. Music is by Josue Allen at J-O-S-U-E-A-L-N on Instagram. Thank you so much. Have a great day.